Welcome to the Last Call podcast. My name is Marissa Whitaker, and I'm the prevention educator at SUNY Cortland. And my name is Sarah McGowan. I'm the assistant director of student health and wellness at Onondaga Community College. Our jobs are to educate students about potential risks associated with substance use. We approach substance use from a neutral stance, and our episodes are rooted in public health with a focus on science and harm reduction. This is a two-part episode on harm reduction and substance use. This first episode will be laying the foundation of what harm reduction is and ways to reduce risks if someone's going to consume alcohol. Harm reduction is rooted in public health theory, and it's designed to minimize harms that come from something. So harm reduction that we know, Maris, exists everywhere. And when we think about harm reduction, a lot of the time people don't think about things that we see everywhere, like seatbelts, helmets, sunscreen, or condoms. But all of those things are really great examples of harm reduction that we see and we use every day. So today we decided that it was really important to talk about addressing ways to reduce harm, specifically from alcohol and cannabis use. So um, both, both of us work on college campuses, and a very important piece of our jobs is to educate students on ways to reduce harm if they are going to decide to use either um, or both substances. Yeah, harm reduction does exist everywhere. So you don't stay inside in the summer because the sun's out. You go outside and you put sunscreen on. Harm reduction doesn't condone or promote substance use, but it really approaches it from a realistic standpoint that accepts that some people in society use substances. Rather than punishing these individuals, let's keep them as safe and healthy as possible. So abstinence often sometimes gets lumped into the antithesis of harm reduction. It's either you're abstinent or you're using substances. So abstinence can be harm reduction. There are some people who can't just have one drink or two and then they're done. If every time you're drinking, you have a couple bottles of wine, or you polish off a bottle of liquor, or you black out, you get in fights with people every time you're drinking, you might argue with friends or family. Perhaps using substances isn't the right call for you. So there's really a huge spectrum of what harm reduction includes for an individual. If this is a topic that you're super interested in, um, we do have another podcast called Keeping the Balance. So in that, we talk about specific signs with alcohol and cannabis to keep an eye out for. So if someone struggles with maybe those types of things, that might be a really good episode uh, for you to do a deeper dive into. So Maris, today, one thing that I wanted to start with, this is something that I teach every student that I work with. Um, it's one time that you never want to drink, and the acronym for it is HALT. So when you think about HALT, it also means STOP. And the reason why is because if you're feeling any of the four things that those letters represent, that's a time when substances can affect you differently than any other time. So the H in HALT stands for hungry, so you never want to drink or use substances on an empty stomach. If you forgot to eat that day and then you started drinking, you can end up in a bad situation because you forgot to eat. Um, Russ, do you want to get into the next one? Yeah. So the A in HALT stands for angry. Don't use substances if you're angry. Might feel at the moment that that's the right thing. And that's what you need right now. That's not what you need. It might pause what you're angry about. But once you're done using those substances and then those substances wear off, you're still going to be angry about some things. And now you might be hungover and angry. 
So the L stands for lonely. This is kind of a two-part thing. You never want to use substances if you're lonely or sad. So the lonely meaning that you should always have a buddy. You should never use substances alone because that can lead to negative things happening. And then no one's there to help you. And then the sad piece is that if you're sad and you're drinking or using any substances, that's just going to amplify those feelings of sadness. Exactly. Alcohol is a depressant. So putting a depressant on top of something that's sad, it's not an equation where double negatives equal a positive. Absolutely. So then the last one we have is T for tired. So you never want to drink or use substances if you're tired, because if you're already tired when you start, it's just going to amplify that tiredness. So now that we've talked about some instances where you definitely don't want to drink or use substances, let's talk about some of the ways if somebody's going to consume alcohol. How do they do that safely, Sarah? Do you have any pointers that you can share? So, Maris, I think uh, the the number one thing, uh, not just for college students, but a lot of, you know, adults in general, don't think about the proper serving size of of alcoholic drinks. So when we're talking about beer, I mean one can or 12 ounces at 5% alcohol. When we're talking about hard liquor, I mean 1.5 ounces at around 40% alcohol. Or when we're talking about wine, um, it's five ounces. Um, it's important to know too that if you're consuming anything with additional alcohol, like um, anything with the word ice in it or anything with the word harder, um, a lot of the time that means there's additional alcohol content added. Or if you're consuming like green alcohol, Everclear, um, some IPAs have more alcohol in it as well. So it's really important, you know, I don't expect everyone to be scientists as they're drinking, but it's important to know kind of what you're drinking and what the alcohol content is so that you can adjust accordingly. You don't want to drink a whole cup full of Hennessy and call it one drink. Yes. Yeah. Especially that hard liquor factor. So the thing with beer, when you have a can or a bottle, your servings, your serving. Wine can be a little subjective because each pour could be different. When we're talking hard liquor, that could be wicked dangerous. And it's absolutely possible to accidentally binge drink when you're having hard liquor, even though you thought you were having one drink. 12 ounces of Natty is going to be different than 12 ounces of Smirnoff vodka. So keep that in mind, that Long Island iced tea at the bar not one drink. So be real mindful of what a serving size is. <laughs> and my one of my favorite things to talk about with my students is a lot of people think that they're master bartenders. And when they're pouring, they tell me that they know how to eyeball what one drink is. So realistically, in your mind, you're like, oh, here's one shot, but you end up pouring triple or double the amount that you thought that you had. Please measure with a shot glass. It's always really important to to eat before you're going to drink. Oftentimes, students who are medically transported report that they didn't have anything to eat before they drank that night. So going along with that, Marissa, I think um, it's important to remember, too, that the only thing that can sober someone up is time. Um, it's so interesting to me and hilarious when I hear that students are telling me tips that have been passed down from generation to generation in their family about what sobers someone up. Um, but realistically, the only thing that can sober you up is time. And the only way to know how long it's going to be before you're sober is to keep track of the amount that you're drinking. People have been drinking for thousands of years. Don't you think a hack to stay sober or sober up quicker would have been common knowledge at this point, maybe even peer reviewed? So the next thing to do is alternating drinks. So if you're at a party or a gathering, you don't have to keep drinking 
drinks with alcohol in them. It's okay to have soda or water in your cup. Actually, the other day, someone told me that if they're at a party and they don't want to drink, they will empty out their beer bottle and they'll put water in it. So it appears like they're drinking um, beer when in reality, there's water in their bottle. So no one's going to know if you're drinking beer, straight vodka or water. And at the end of the night, you're going to feel a lot better. And by alternating drinks, as Sarah said, that can help someone avoid a hangover. The reason why someone gets hungover, among many things, is because alcohol is dehydrating you. So you go to sleep without any water, and you know the only water you had from the night before is the ice cubes in your drink. Your brain's going to start to swell, and that's what's causing that headache in the morning. If you're super interested, check out our Anatomy of the Hangover episode. And just to throw out quickly, Maris, all these tips and tricks that we're giving, um, we're never saying that you always should use substances at a party. I think that's one of the things that people always forget. You don't have to drink to be a college student. And as corny as it sounds, you can have fun at a party without drinking or Exactly. And part of the fun part of a party is the socializing aspect of it. And so leads me to staying with your friends when you're doing something, especially if you're going to be engaging in substance use. You don't always want a clear mind, especially if you're walking somewhere. And if maybe you don't have a clear mind, you want to be with somebody who does have one or at the very least a group of people to stay safe. So the buddy system sounds like something you might have done when you were a kid, but it's something that we encourage and we like students to practice just so that you're not alone um, and there's always someone there in case something bad happens. And if you see somebody who's walking alone and you're with a bunch of your friends, walk with that person. So, you know, I always like to think, when would you want someone to help you out in a situation? Also, it's key to have a plan before you start drinking or partying. So if you know that you're going to be going somewhere and the people that you're with are going to be drinking or consuming, it's important to know how you're going to get home. So sometimes it helps to plan out your whole night of transportation. So starting with how you're going to get there when you're ready to leave, what your plan is, are you going to call someone? And then also to have a backup plan. So the your, the plans that you have might not go exactly as you thought, um, but picking the soberest of the drunk drivers in your group is not an option. And the reason to do this before you start drinking is that sometimes plans change once people start drinking. So you might think, oh, my friend's going to give us a ride home. But what if that friend starts drinking? That's why you have the backup plan. And on the same side of that is if you're the designated driver that night, be the designated driver. That doesn't mean you can't ever drink again. But for one night, people's lives literally could be in your hands. So don't you want to keep everybody safe? Absolutely, Maris. Um, Another thing is if you plan to go out to the bar, um, make sure that you only bring with you the amount that you want to spend. This will be helpful. Like, for example, if you went out with $50, you knew that that was all you wanted to spend. That way you're not throwing your credit card down and open, opening up a tab and then ending up with a huge bill at the end of the night. Obviously, this will put a limit on the amount of alcohol that you purchase and consume, but it will also help your wallet out as well. Yes, and nothing screams a regrettable purchase than spending $70 at the bar and shots that you throw up after. Huge waste of money. And also, if you're drinking a lot and then you leave your credit card at the bar, lots of bars have a 20% gratuity. So you're paying 20% just to have blacked out the night before and not remembered your credit card. So at a bar or a house party, something you never want to do is leave your drink unattended. So if you get up to talk to someone, you have to go to the bathroom, have a friend watch your drink or take your drink with you, but never leave your drink somewhere um, that you can't keep an eye on it. 
Yeah, there's a lot of risks that can be associated with a drink that's left unattended. Something else related to alcohol that can pose a risk to someone is playing drinking games. This is because someone's consuming a lot of alcohol in a short amount of time. So if you're going to play a drinking game, maybe substitute some of that alcohol with water. And it might be fun to play drinking games. And I know on both of our campuses, drinking games are prohibited. So keep that in mind with the campus's code of conduct. Um, but in terms of just someone's general health and well-being, lots of risks are associated with drinking alcohol in a rapid succession. So you talked about drinking games, Maris, and I know a lot of the time um, when drinking games are played is the pregame. So sometimes the pregame can be fun, but unfortunately a lot of the time this is where people end up consuming large amounts of alcohol and then going to another party or another event and continuing to drink. So if you do consume a lot at the pregame, your night can be ruined even before you actually got to the party. So keep that in mind. So when we say heavy drinking or binge drinking, what are we talking about here? And as a precursor to this, the research for people who are transgender and people who are non-binary is absolutely lacking when it, we're talking about alcohol consumption. Um, so for the sake of this conversation, for cisgender men having five or more drinks in roughly a two-hour setting, and for cisgender women having four or more drinks in a two-hour setting, that's what has been deemed as binge drinking um, by the National Institute of Alcohol, by Centers for Disease Control. Those are what the standards are. So if someone's pre-gaming, they could hit that binge drinking threshold before you even got to the destination that you're going to. Yeah. And again, um, know that you don't always have to drink when you're out. So if you decide you want to play drinking games, but maybe then decide you don't want to drink when you get out to the bar or you don't want to drink when you get to the next party. And the last thing, Marissa, that I wanted to touch on is, so the last thing, Marissa, is not to get too public healthy, but um, thinking about all the potential germs that could be spread with some of these drinking games, like um, drinking out of your beer pong cup after the ball has rolled all around the floor um, in hair and dirt, or um, drinking out of a cup in flip cup that five people have already, you know, drank out of. Um, or if your guard is down and you are participating in, you know, risky or unprotected sex that you normally would not have because your inhibitions are down, STIs can occur. Um, COVID is is now a major thing as well as monkeypox is out there. So there are other public health risks that come with heavy um, and binge drinking. Yes, all very important things to consider. Sometimes drinking isn't necessarily just about the alcohol in itself. So those are some of the risk reduction tips that we have regarding alcohol use. On an upcoming episode this semester, we're going to continue the risk reduction conversation and talk about ways to reduce risks associated with cannabis use as well. So this is, again, a two-part episode, and this is the first half of it. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. Bye.